Hey everybody, this is Pastor David with We Are Church. I just want to thank you for taking the time to tune into this podcast. Here at We Are Church, our mission is to be a place where people come to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. One of the ways we do that is through the reading and the teaching of the Word of God. So I just pray that this message would challenge you to take your faith to the next level and you would find freedom in every area that you need. God bless you and enjoy the message. Y'all ready? All right, um, for anybody in the room, I, I, ne- I didn't introduce myself, but I do see a few uh, new faces, man. My name is Pastor David, and uh, I grew up here in Woodbine. And just a short version of my story, I grew up in, out here in South Nashville and went through a lot of dysfunction as a, as a child. You know, different experiences led to different things. But long story short, I, I ended up getting involved in a gang and... Um, at a very young age, started witnessing a lot of homicides and things that no child should ever experience, things I never want my kid to experience. And um, uh, my family, my parents, like we all just kind of all grew up in in this dysfunction of relationships and dysfunction of drug addiction and alcohol and that type of stuff. And so, man, I did like every kid from my neighborhood did, and I went to the streets and found love in the streets and, and ended up joining a gang and going out and gangbanging and robbing and stealing and all of the things. But anyways, that lifestyle eventually led up to me uh, being addicted to uh, opiate pain pills. And at age 14, I was, I was hooked on, on uh, lower tabs. That led to, to Oxycontins, which led to, you know, eventually led to heroin. And so I was stuck on, on a needle for a really long time. And um, I was in and out of the system. I had uh, two kids, and I kept leaving them out on the streets and just stuck in the system, stuck in the system. I'd get out for three months and get right back on the needle or get out two days later right back on the needle. And, and man, I just couldn't break out of this vicious cycle. And one night I gave my life to Jesus in a motel room. Um, I I had enough money to either buy some cocaine to continue shooting cocaine for the night or pay for the room the next day. And, uh, and I called a dope man and got some dope, and that, that's what broke me. I, I just, the, the drugs were no longer taking the guilt and the shame away from my life. They were taking away the withdrawals, but the guilt and the shame was increasing. And I, I just broke down that night, and I said, man, God, I'm, I'm sick of living like this. Like, you, you got to do something with me. You, you're going to have to change me. And um, wasn't no radical experience right then in that moment, or I didn't feel set free or delivered in that moment. I went out the next day to do my normal routine and got arrested. And um, I remember for the first time being in the back of the cop car and just feeling relief and just feeling peace because it was just like, man, I'm, I'm on my way to change my life. And uh, I was viol- had violated a 12-year community correction and thought for sure, like for sure I'm going to the penitentiary. And my prayer wasn't God get me out of this or God change my circumstance. It was God change me. Do not let me walk out of them prison doors the same as I was when I came into this jail cell and um man god just really did a work on my heart and uh, i eventually ended up going to davidson county drug court and just really focused on my recovery god man what you know show me what i was created to do god or show me who you are and it just meant i just dug deep into my bible i started journaling i started praying i started uh working the 12 steps of alcoholics anonymous and i started learning about resentments and root issues and making amends for the wrongs that i did and all of these different things that were therapeutic and that i thought were you know a bunch of brainwashing stuff that i didn't need to hear nothing about i started implementing these little things in my life and slowly i started to find the freedom that i needed and through that journey of finding freedom i i found out what i was created to do and and god started showing me that i was called to preach 
the word of God. And, and I always say this, man, for anybody in the room, I, I don't stand here because I, I gave my life to Jesus and decided that I wanted to preach. I never thought I would be a preacher or a pastor or even step foot in some church doors. I just didn't want to stick a needle in my arm anymore. And so God had plans for me and God's got plans for everybody in this room. And that's just a short version of my story. Uh, like I said, we're, we're going to break away from the I am statements this week. I've been really enjoying the I am statements. I've been enjoying really digging deep into the character of Jesus and everything. But um, the Lord placed something on my heart. And so we're going to read. If you have your Bibles, we'll turn to Matthew 24 and we'll start with verse 1. <clears throat> I'm going to need you all to bear with me through the first part of this sermon. Matthew 24, verse 1 says, as Jesus was leaving the temple grounds, his disciples pointed out to him the various temple buildings. But he responded, do you see all these buildings? I'll tell you the truth. They will be completely, completely demolished. Not one stone will be left on top of another. Later, Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives. His disciples came to him privately and said, tell us when, all, when will all this happen? What sign will signal your return in the end of the world? Jesus told them, don't let anyone mislead you, for many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah. They will deceive many, and you will hear of wars and threats of wars, but don't panic. Yes, these things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. Nation will go to war against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in many parts of the world, but all this is only the first of the birth pains with more to come. Then you will be arrested persecuted and killed you will be hated all over the world because you are my followers and many will turn away from me and betray and hate each other and many false prophets will appear and will deceive many sin will be rampant everywhere and the love of many will grow cold but the one who endures to the end will be saved like I said I've never preached a sermon on the end times or anything that has to do with anything that has to do the end times. I've actually been very skeptical about people who preach on the end times, but the Lord revealed something to me. I was thinking about all of the tragedy that's going on around us. And we've heard people say that we're in the last days for a long time. We've been in the last days since the crucifixion. Ever since Jesus was on, on, on the cross, we've been in the last days. We just, as we go forward, we're just closer and closer and closer to the return of Jesus. And we've always had rumors of wars. We've had nations rising up against nations. We've had earthquakes, tornadoes, tsunamis, viruses, cancers. Um, we got all of these different things going on. But if you look around, you, you see the disaster. And I'm sitting here and I'm, 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 just, I'm, I'm just overwhelmed at like everything that's going on around us. And, and usually I'm not affected by the things that are happening outside of what I got going on. I've been able to, to, to keep my life pretty grounded. But been having a heaviness about me um, for the past week, and I've been just praying, praying to God about it, and God kind of started to reveal some things to me, and, and, and I want to say this. He says, when he says this is just the first of the birth pains, and he says, where is it? He said, this is only the first of the birth pains with more to come. He says, then you will be arrested, persecuted, and killed. You'll be hated all over the world because you are my followers. And many will turn away and betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and will deceive many people. Sin will be rampant everywhere. And the love of many will grow cold. 
A time is coming in the future where casual Christians will become casualties. It's easy to say that we believe in Jesus now. It's not so easy in third world countries where it's illegal, where people are being beheaded and, and, and chopped up and, and stoned to death and they're being dragged through the streets. So Jesus is saying, hey, like, yeah, there's going to be these things happening, but that'll be the first of the birth pains. He said, but then a time is coming where you'll, you'll be killed for my name's sake. That people will start to betray each other and the love of many will grow cold. But he also promises, he says, the one who endures to the end will be saved. That word endure, Jesus is telling us, he's saying, the one who endures to the end. That's, that requires a, a willingness to be pressed, to be crushed, to be tried, to go through a struggle, a time of pain. That, that, that word right there, that, that only the one who endures to the end will be saved. So when Jesus is saying this, he's, he's, he's letting us know ahead of time, hey, life is going to get real hard. And if, you, if, you are, if you're a casual Christian, you just ain't going to make it. That it's going to take something more than just coming to church and checking this off of your box. That you're going to have to be deeply rooted in my love. That you're going to have to have a deep relationship for me when the times really get hard. And that's why I believe there's so many people that are, that are coming out of, out, of, out of the destruction and the hell and the chaos that we came out of because we've already been through hell. So he's saying, I need some people that are not going to just back away when times get hard. That I'm going to need some people that will continue to fight when it looks like they can't fight no more. Because a lot of people will look in this room and they'll just see a bunch of screw-ups. But God is saying, man, I see people who've already been through hell. Charles Spurgeon has a quote. He said, you show me a Christian who's been soaked in the blood of Jesus with the stench of hell in his nostrils. And I'll show you a man who does not need to be compelled to preach the gospel. So in other words, he's saying, man, you, you show me a man who's experienced the blood of Jesus on his life that's been set free. And I will show you a man that doesn't have to be told to go out and preach the gospel. And that's why I believe there's so many of us that are coming out of the darkness and we're having these radical encounters with God. And we're saying, man, God, I'm not satisfied with this lukewarm life anymore that I got. I need some definition to who I am. And so I'm not here today to tell you that Jesus is coming back tomorrow because the Bible is very clear that no man knows the hour or the time of his return. So I'm not going to be one of them people that tells you Jesus is coming back 2021 because I don't know when he's coming back. But I know that these days are not going to get any easier. And as time goes by, that it's going to be more and more hard to become a Christian. And if we are not rooted and we're not grounded and we don't really have a real revelation and a real relationship with him. We'll walk away from him. It's not going to be easy forever to just claim to be a Christian and claim that we know Jesus. We see it like you see it around the world. You see the things that are legal nowadays that wouldn't have been legal. Everybody calls what's dark light and what's light dark and it's and it's all twisted. And, and you, you, everybody has their own truth of what they believe in when there's actually only one truth. But this world is not getting any easier and I've seen a lot of people die the past couple of years from drug overdoses but I have seen more people get clean than I have seen die I'm looking at a lot of them in the room now you know what I mean you're like y'all praise God for that like 
That's why I'm so big on, 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 on preaching on, on our purpose and, and letting you know that we didn't get saved to sit in these seats, that we get saved because Jesus wants to use our brokenness to change this world. But when you have a real encounter with Jesus, you won't be okay with walking by somebody with a needle in their arm and not telling them about what God has for them. That you'll say, man, God did it for me. He can do it for you. That when a person is looking at the evidence of God working in, in, in our lives, it creates a hunger in their heart to want to know who God is. So we're going to jump over to Matthew 25 real quick. And I'm going to preach tonight. I'm just going to let y'all know. I'm, I'm going to preach tonight, man. I'm not. This, this rocked me, man. Um, I was listening to a sermon earlier this week, and it just rocked me to the core. It was different from this, but as, as I was hearing the sermon, um, God laid some things on my heart, and, and I just couldn't shake it. And so, man, I believe that some of y'all will get shook up in this room today. God's going to shake some things up, but he also is going to wake some things up. That's already inside of you today, and I believe that wholeheartedly. Matthew 25, verse 1 says, Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten bridesmaids who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The five who were foolish didn't take enough olive oil for their lamps, but the other five were wise enough to take along extra oil. When they were roused by the, when the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, they were roused by the shout, look, the bridegroom is coming. Come out to meet him. All the bridesmaids got up and prepared their lamps. Then the five foolish ones asked the others, please give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. But, but the others replied, we don't have enough for all of us. Go to a shop and buy some for yourselves. But while they were gone to buy oil, the bridegroom came. Then those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast and the door was locked. And I'm going to stop right there for a second. So we see in verse one and two when it says, he says, the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 bridesmaids who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. So what we're seeing right there in verse one, when he says that the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 bridesmaids who took their lamps and we went to meet the bridegroom. He's talking about the second coming of Christ. Because the church is his bride. And Jesus is the groom. And so he's, when we see that, we're hearing, talking about the second coming of Christ, it says five of them were foolish and five were wise. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The five who were foolish didn't take enough olive oil for their lamps, but the other five were wise enough to take along extra oil. And so we see he's saying five, five of them were foolish and five were wise. In other words, he's saying half of the church was foolish and half of the church was wise. It says when the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. It wasn't them falling asleep that made them foolish. It was that half of them ran out of oil. So when we see that they became drowsy and they fell asleep, what the Lord was speaking to me was the reason that they fell asleep was because of the persecution and the trials and the struggles of this world. And so it, it, it wasn't them falling asleep that made them foolish because the five wise bridesmaids and the five foolish bridesmaids both fell asleep. But what made them foolish was that some of them ran out of oil. And so I want to talk about the oil for a second because the Lord is telling me that, uh, talking to me about the oil. The oil represents the anointing of God. It represents the power of the Holy Spirit. And what the Lord is telling me is it's, it's time for us to wake up and realize that we can no longer walk around without the oil and the anointing of God 
on our lives. That it's no longer okay for us to preach the word of God without the anointing behind it. And so I want to talk about a few things that the anointing does, five things that the anointing does. The first is the anointing breaks yokes. Isaiah 10, 27 says, and it shall come to pass in that day that his burden shall be taken away from off thy shoulder and his yoke from off thy thy neck. And the yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. And so if you're in here and you're like, well, I don't understand what the yoke is. The yoke is, it's, it's the bondage, a yoke. So if you know anything about farm animals and all of that type of stuff, they would place a yoke on, on their necks and it would, they would yoke two bulls together and they would have to walk together and it would have both of their necks in it. And so when he's saying that the, that the anointing will break the yokes off of our neck and it will be destroyed, he's talking about the things that have had us bound our whole lives. So some of us are walking around in this room still bound to some things that we just can't break off because we don't have the anointing or we won't allow the anointing to come in and break the bondage in our life. And the beautiful thing about that is not only when the anointing breaks the bondage off of my life, that when I tap into the anointing and I use it to speak into other other people's lives, that's how people get set free. When the anointing comes into this place and we have an experience with God and we walk out of them doors transformed and not the same, that's because the anointing was in this place. See, a lot of us are looking for a hyper-spiritual feeling to where we can just feel good, but it ain't what makes us feel good that actually changes us. It's with the, when the anointing of God comes into our life, it starts to break the chains in our life that have had us bound for so long. I got into a discussion with somebody the other day, and they were asking me, you know, is, is it okay if I challenge your faith? Can I, can I challenge your faith? Like, can we get into, like, this debate? about whether God is real or whether he isn't. And it just kind of stopped him in his tracks, and I was like, well, you can challenge my faith all you want, but I'm going to let you know I didn't grow up in church, that it wasn't a man that, that taught me about Jesus or about this freedom or this experience that I had, that man did not teach me what I know. That I had a radical encounter with Jesus in a motel room and later in in my jail cell when I would read the word of God and God would speak to me that it was God revealing himself and the anointing that came into my life that set me free. So no matter what kind of religious debate you want to get with me, my faith cannot be shaken. Right? Because if the only revelation we have of God is what man told us, we're in trouble. Because I guarantee you he could have said some things I didn't have answers to. He could have pointed out some things in the Bible that looked like it, it, it contradicted itself and didn't make any sense. You can look at things and, and, and look at it with, with an intellectual mind and it not make any sense. And you can see some things where it seems like God is missing. But if you've had a radical encounter with God and you've had the spirit of God come into your life and do a work, then your faith cannot be shaken. Second, the anointing brings healing. The Lord laid this on my heart. Isaiah 1, 5 through 6 says, why should you be stricken again? You will revolt more and more. The whole head is sick. The whole heart faints. From the soul, from the, from the soul of the foot even to the head, there is no soundness in it but wounds and, bru- and bruises and putrefying sores. They have not been closed or bound, or bound up or soothed with ointment. And so what he's saying is apart from the anointing, you'll lead from your wounds. Right. 
And he's saying, look, he said, you'll revolt more and more. The whole head is sick and the whole heart faints from the sole of the foot, even to the head. There's no soundness in it. And we got too many people that are out here that won't allow the anointing to come in and get into the areas that we don't want to deal with. And we'd rather hold on to the bitterness and the resentment and the root issues and, the, and all of these wounds that we had. And so we lead from a place of wounds. And God is saying, man, your whole head is sick. He's saying you get rid of the drugs and you still got a problem. That the, the, the drugs are just a symptom of the problem. The infidelity is a symptom of the problem. He's saying, man, look, your whole head is sick. Your heart is faint. He said, it's not, it's not what you're using that is causing the problem. He said, that's a symptom of the problem. You got to let the anointing come into your life and heal. The problem is we don't want to allow God to come in and start to, to bring up those feelings. What they tell you in recovery, they say, man, the good thing about recovery is you get your feelings back, right? But the bad thing about recovery is you get your feelings back. You know what I mean? So we start our relationship with God, and I'm not just saying recovery from drugs, but period of living a life outside of God, and we get into a relationship with God, and he starts to say, man, I want to deal with that. That resentment you've been holding against your parents, I want to deal with that. That bitterness that you've been walking away with, that abandonment that you've been walking away with, the guilt, the shame, all of those things that you've been having buried inside of you, I want to deal with that. The time is coming. The time is now, man. We can no longer walk around leading and representing God in our brokenness. And I'm not saying our, our brokenness, the things that we still struggle with, but I'm saying in the things that we know we're capable of overcoming if we just allow God in to do the work. One of the quotes I've seen, if you don't heal from what hurt you, you'll bleed on people who love you. And a lot of us have been walking around mistreating the people who love us the most because we ain't healed from the people who hurt us in our past. It's not okay. It's not okay, man. God is trying to do something different in this season. And I preach on it. I talk about it every week that he is looking for a people who are willing to be authentic and real about who they are. God doesn't need another me on this platform. He needs you. That unless we're willing to let God start to work in our lives, he can't use us at the level that he wants to use us at. The third thing, the anointing reaches places mere words can't. Isaiah 61, 1 through 3 says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has appointed me to bring good news to the poor, he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. <clears throat> he says, the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. And Jesus was in the temple and he pulled out this scroll in Isaiah because this scroll in Isaiah was talking about him. So he did the reading of Isaiah and he said, yeah, you know what? Like what this is talking about, like that's me, I'm here. 
like I'm among you, like this, this scripture was me, like talking about me. And so he says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. So that word anointed means chosen. And so when he's saying that the Lord has anointed me, he's chosen me to bring good news to the poor, to preach freedom to the, to the captives. And so when we learn that we're anointed, we don't only, we, we move from position to chosen for the position. We start to walk different. We start to talk different. That I preach different on this stage when I know that God gave me this platform. That I was chosen for this and for this neighborhood. That when I know that I can preach with a boldness and a confidence that I didn't have before. And unless we're willing to be real and authentic about where we're at in our lives and be who God created us to be, then we can't walk in the chosenness that he has for us. Look what he said. He said to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those in Zion, to, who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord that he may be glorified. What's crazy is he was talking about you. Like some of us read over stuff like that and we don't really grasp it. That when he said that, he was, he was talking about me. And he was talking about you. That when he said he was going to set the captives free, he said they would become oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that literally that, that you would grow into the fullness of who you were created to be and you would be an, an oaks of righteousness. The planting of the Lord. That's what was so beautiful and so different about Jesus. Because everything else was built off of systems. All the way up into the times of, time of Jesus, it was built off of rules and systems and rules and systems and rules and systems. And Jesus came in just completely blowing everybody's mind because he said, man, aside from all of that, like, forget all of that. Perfect relationship with me. And then he said, what, everything in the law can be summed up in two commandments, to love the, love the Lord, your Lord, the God, the Lord God with all your heart, all your mind, and all your strength, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. That that's it. That the whole law can be something that, that if you love God with everything you got, and that after you love God, that you'll be able to love the people around you the way you're supposed to love them, that you won't have to worry about the law, Right? That we're no longer bound by the law, that there's principles in the law. We apply the principles to our life and it sets us free that we're not bound to the law, but our main concern is to fall in love with him so that we can love each other properly. Chosen is the difference from, from walking and running. Anointed is the difference between walking and running. I remember when we started talking about the church plant, I was talking to my Aunt Jennifer, and uh, I was like, we need this much money. We got to get this. We got to get that. And I kept talking about all of the stuff that we need for the church plant. I'm like, we're going to plant this church, and we're going to set Woodbine on fire and this and that. She's like, oh, man, how much money do you got now? I was like, we ain't got no money. <laughs> She's like, well, then how are you going to do this? I was like, I don't know. That ain't my job. I just know God has called me to it. God is going to provide for it. But that's the difference between walking and running. 
Because when you know that I'm anointed for this, that I'm chosen for this, that this is what God is calling me to do, you don't have to walk timidly. You can know with the confidence that it's, if it's God's will, it's God's bill. Right? It's the difference between walking and running. This is probably my favorite thing that the anointing does. The anointing equip, equips and empowers us for war. And I wanted to say battle, but I, but, but, but I hesitated to say that. I'm going to say it empowers us for war. Some of us in this room were drawn into this room because of the anointing today. And this is what the Lord dropped on my spirit, that you may have lost the battle previously with addiction or infidelity or lust, or whatever it is that you've been struggling with, that you, you may have already lost that battle, but if you will allow the anointing to come into your life and you tap into that, that you'll actually be able to wage war against the thing that has been defeating you your whole life. And I believe that there's some people in this room tonight that you're going to walk away set free from the one thing that has had you bound for years. The one thing that only the anointing can change. Luke 24, 49 says, listen carefully. I am sending the promise of my father, the Holy Spirit, upon you. You are to remain in the city of Jerusalem until you are clothed, fully equipped with power from on high. He's saying, listen, Jesus is telling his disciples, he said, listen carefully. I'm sending the promise of my father, the Holy Spirit upon you. But you are to remain in the city of Jerusalem until you are clothed and fully equipped with power from on high. And until we experience the power, he's telling his disciples, he said, hey, I need you to stay in Jerusalem because I'm going away so that God can send you a gift, which is the Holy Spirit. And that when he comes, when the spirit comes upon you, you'll receive power from on high. And that's why a lot of us have been walking around without any power and not being able to overcome because we've never actually had the power of the Holy Spirit come upon us. And we talked about that the anointing is it represents the oil represents the anointing and it represents the power of the Holy Spirit. But if we allow him, if we'll ask God, that's what I needed. I, I couldn't just be OK with reading the Bible. I've tried it many times. I gave my life to Jesus probably 20 times in jail. I literally got baptized like eight times in my life, like for real. And it wasn't until like I actually had this real encounter with him. I was like, oh, my God, this stuff is real for real. Like it changed my life, man. One of the most radical experiences I ever had, I was at, I was in Blackwood, Hill Detention Center, downtown Nashville. And this preacher would come every other Wednesday named Burke Zach from Grace Church in Franklin. He was a white boy from the suburbs. He ain't had no business being in a jail cell, talking to no gangbangers, no robbers, no people in there. Like, but he would come in there and he would be so fired up. And it was, his, it was the anointing on him that just drew me to church service because I'm like, who is this little dude from the suburbs? But he would come in there and he'd say, man, y'all ready to hear about Jesus? And I'd be like, and, and he'd be like, matter of fact, I don't care if you're ready to hear about Jesus. You're going to hear about him anyways. And boy, the anointing, his words would just, you would just feel the presence of God would just come into the room because there was a boldness and a confidence and an anointing about him that nobody else had that would come in to that place. And he would tell people, he walked up to one dude sitting down and he said, man, the Lord told me that your back is hurting. Is your back hurting? He said, man, my back is killing me. 
And he was like, man, let me see something. And he pulled both of his legs up and he looked at his legs and one of his legs was like that much shorter. He said, man, do you want to be healed? And he said, yeah, yeah, man, I would love to be healed. And he just commanded his leg to grow in the name of Jesus. And his leg just kind of, everybody was like, oh, my God. Everybody was jumping around. Like this dude, like he walked in the fullness of God. In the fullness of God, knowing that he was fully, fully, fully chosen for what God had called him to do. And I had been praying about receiving the Holy Spirit. And I had seen on TV where people had been baptized in the Spirit, slain in the Spirit. I had seen it. But I'm like, man, these dudes are tripping. Like Benny Hinn waving his jacket and the whole crowd falling out. I'm like, man, can't be that real. Like people just getting up, throwing wheelchairs, like people flopping like fishes. You know what I mean? <laughs> like. For real, I'm like, man, this, something, something ain't right about that. Like, that's what I was thinking, right? But I said, man, God, I, I, I got I to gotta have it. Like, I need that power. Like, when I'm talking about that, being that power from on high, fully, fully equipped. Like, God, I, I need this in my life. You know what I mean? Like, I've been an extremist my whole life. You know what I mean? I've been, I've been chasing a high my whole life. But they talk about this high that you get from God. And I'm like, man, God, I need that high. Like, I want that. And so he comes in and he starts talking about the day of Pentecost. He said, man, the Lord told me for anybody who's willing to wait for his presence to come into this room that you'll receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit today. And so we all got down. He said, I want everybody to be quiet. So I want you to pray. So I want you to pray in the spirit. I want you to pray to God. And we're going to wait until we feel him in this place and we know he's in this place. Anybody who wants to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit going to extend an invitation for you to come up. I'm thinking, God, I got to have this. Like, if anybody wants it in this room, it's me. And I hit my knees and I prayed. Just, God, I need this in my life, God. God, I got to feel you. God, I, I need to know that you're real. God, give me power. I need that power that it's talking about. Like, just craving it and fiending for it. Like, the same way I would fiend for drugs. Like, I wanted everything God could give me. You know what I mean? God, if that's something that you have, I want it and I need it. Like, I don't want to leave these doors not equipped with anything that you have for me. Like, that was what I had in my spirit. And I'm just praying, God, give it to me. Give it to me. So he's like, about 15 minutes into us praying, he's like, all right, if you want to receive the baptism, I struck off. Like, clean to him. I'm thinking, do better, not hit me in my head like they be doing on, the, on TV. Man, I didn't get a foot from him, and I couldn't even walk any closer. The presence of God was so thick. I just, as soon as I got there, I was like, oh, I started like falling out, and he's like, nah, you can't stop that. He's like, more and more. I ain't got nobody there to catch me, right? Like, this ain't like at church where somebody catch you, and then they put the modesty blanket over you, and then walk over to the neck. Like, wasn't none of that. And he's sitting here like, now you can't fight this more, 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 more. Next thing you know, I'm out. I'm laying on the floor, pure ele electricity, love, and power just rushing through my body. The same way I felt when I would shoot dope and it would rush through my whole body, it was that same feeling but power and love rushing through my body like something I had never experienced before in my life. And I'm thinking because as he's, he's praying something powerful and he's declaring things in the room, I'm thinking he's standing over me and that the power of God's hitting me because he's standing over me. But he done laid out six other gangbangers. They laying on the ground, slain in the Holy Spirit, and the guards come rushing in. And they're like, all right, showtime's over. Y'all go back to your pods. And then so they, I, I lifted up my eyes and I got up. I was like, oh, my God, this feels so good. Like, I was so on fire, dude. Like, that day changed my life. Something was different about me from that moment forward. 
because the storms of life kept coming. People kept walking away from me and leaving me in my life. The betrayal kept coming. The pain was still there. The hurt was still there. But there was something different about me from that moment forward. I wasn't scared to speak out about what God was telling me anymore. There was a boldness and a confidence that I never had before. Because power from on high came upon me. When I would speak to people, they would cry. Simple words permeated with so much anointing that I would say simple things and it would break people. I couldn't understand it. I'd be at drug court sitting around sharing about what God was doing in my life and people would be in the meeting just weeping. I'm like, what is going on, God? Everybody started coming to me naturally because of, with their problems and I didn't realize that it wasn't because I was doing something right, but the anointing of God was drawing people into my life to speak into their brokenness. There's a power that God wants to give you. And that's why I talked about we cannot just be okay with being saved from the penalty of sin. But that God doesn't just want to save us from the penalty, but he wants to save us from the sin. And he wants to clean us up and he wants to give us a power and a boldness and anointing that we've never had before. I mean, does, does anybody hunger for that? Do you desire power from God? To where it's so, tan there's a point in your life when an invisible God can become so tangible that it's undeniable. And that's what I was explaining to the man who wanted to challenge my faith. That God wasn't just invisible for me, but that he was tangible, that he came down and visited me, that he reached into the innermost parts of my brokenness and healed me and restored me and hugged my soul and told me that it was going to be okay. And he set me on fire that it ain't nothing any man in this world could ever tell me about God not being real. That the fact that my brothers and my sisters and people that I used and got hired with and gangbanged and robbed with and went to jail with are sitting in this room is undeniable that the power of God is real. So nobody can come and try to shake my faith about something that this book says because I'm looking at the evidence of God being real in this room. That we could have been doing anything on our Saturday nights, but, but, but instead of being out doing what we wanted to do, we're here because we desire a relationship and a freedom. In our life. The power of God is undeniable. The anointing brings us boldness. So in, in 1 Samuel 16, I couldn't, I couldn't help but think about David. When I think about boldness, I always think about King David. And it was probably the first story in the Bible where I just had to go tell everybody about. I was reading it to everybody. I'm in the laundry room, bro. You gotta read this, man. You didn't. I heard about King David and Goliath in the slingshot, but bro, this is deep. Like y'all got this dude is bold. Like I could not help but tell everybody about David and Goliath. What's beautiful about David was David was one of eight sons. He had seven brothers. David had seven brothers, and he was the brother that was casted out. He stayed in the field as a shepherd, and he was the one that was counted out father didn't believe in him his brothers didn't believe in him and in first Samuel 16 we see Samuel God sends him to Jesse's house to David's father's house to anoint the next king because King Saul had the anointing taken from him and God said I'm going to anoint somebody else 
as king, and I want you to go to Jesse's house, and I want you to find one of his sons, and I'm going to anoint him to be the next king. And so 1 Samuel 16, verse 12 through 13 says, so he sent and brought him in. Well, first, let me bring you up to that point. Jesse, when, when Samuel gets there, he tells him, he says, I need, I, need, I need you to bring all of your sons to me because God is going to anoint one of them as king. And he brings in David's seven brothers, and he counts David out and doesn't think that God would ever have anything to do with David and that he would never be the one that would be anointed. So he, Samuel goes through all seven of them, and he's like, God is like, nope, not him, nope, not him, nope, not him, nope, not him. And so finally he looks at Jesse, and he says, do you not have any other sons because God isn't choosing none of these? And he says, yeah, well, I got David, and he's out in the field tending the sheep. And he says, bring him in. And so verse 12 says, so he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy with bright eyes and good looking. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel arose and went to Ramon. And so we see that as soon as David is anointed, it says the spirit of the Lord came upon him from that day forward. And David is anointed as king. And David was the person that was counted out. And David was the brother that was left out in the field that dealt with abandonment and rejection from his family. David was the person that nobody thought would be king. And, and God said, you know what? You might have that one that looks like a king, but I don't want him. I want the servant and the peasant because I'm going to use him because he's got a heart for me. And so he anoints David as king. And the next day, the next chapter, not the next day, uh, chapter 17, David's father sends him to go give his brother some food. And uh, uh, Israelites are about to go to war with the Philistines and Goliath. There was Goliath, this big, huge giant, for 40 days just kept walking in front of the army of Israel and just kept on taunting him and saying, man, if one of y'all will come out and, and fight me, and if y'all fight me, then we'll be your slaves. And if, if, if I win, then You'll be my slaves. And so he keeps coming out and defying the army of Israel. And everybody's shaking and so scared to face Goliath. And David gets sent to bring his brother some food. And he walks up and he sees his brothers. And then he sees Goliath. Goliath comes out to do his normal taunt. 1 Samuel 17, 26 says, And David spoke to the men who stood by him, saying, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? There was a boldness that rose up in David. David was anointed as king and he was sent to bring his brother's food. But when he seen this giant defy the armies of, of the living God, he was like, man, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that thinks he can defy the armies of the living God? You know, there's a boldness that rises up inside of you when you're anointed by God. That the person is too scared to do the things that you do. The anointing comes upon you. You're like, man, they got me all the way messed up. Like, what? And he started asking questions. He's like, man, what's the, wh what do you get paid for, like, defying? He's like, oh, well, you, you receive one of the king's daughters. He's like, what? So he goes straight in for Goliath. Long story short, David, they end up telling the king what David was saying. Like, David's like, man, don't worry about this. Like, I got this. Like, I'll fight this dude. Like, I ain't scared of him. And the king was like, man, there's no way that you're going to, this dude has been a man of war since, since a child, and you still are a child. Like, do you not see him? He's a monster. And you think you're going to fight him? David's like, man, he's like, 
When I was in the field and the lion would come for the sheep, he said, I would I would grab it by the head. I would beat it with a club. And he's like the same God that delivered me from the jaws of the lion will deliver this Philistine into my hands today. And he would. And David was just so fired up. And so he he places the he tried to place his armor on David and David tried his armor on. He's like, man, I can't go into war with this armor. It doesn't fit me. I'm not ready for it. So David picked up a couple stones and headed towards Goliath and Goliath tried to convince him that he was going to defeat him. But David spoke victory over his circumstance. And David killed Goliath with just a stone and a slingshot. But it wasn't his weapon that killed Goliath. It wasn't the fact that he had a stone or a slingshot. It was the anointing behind his weapon. That God had already equipped and empowered him for the battle that he was going to face. And there's some battles that only you can face in this room. There's some victories that people are only going to experience if you're willing to say, God, anoint me. God, let use me. Do something with my life. There's some people that will never come to know Jesus if you don't do what God has called only you to do. There's people that only you can speak to. That should bear weight that there's people that you love, that you want to see break free from the bondage that they've been stuck in, that you've been seeing it for generations and generations that our parents and their parents and their parents, that it's been this, this domino effect that just has completely destroyed our whole lineage. But God is saying that the next generation will never experience freedom unless you walk in the freedom that's available to you. That when I wanted to give up, I couldn't give up. Because my brother who's sitting back there free from drugs right now, on that camera, he was showing up on my doorstep, four days up on meth, just dying. Let me come and take a shower, feed me. I couldn't give up because I believed that God could set him free. That when my mama, I was dragging her out on the sidewalk to a rehab to try to get her freedom, I believed that God could set her free. That I believe that my homeboys and my friends in this room that you could experience freedom in Christ too. That I couldn't give up because I seen y'all in these seats. That my brother who walked away from the freedom of the Lord that's still out there struggling. That I had to do CPR on three weeks ago before I came here and preached. For 20 minutes my brother didn't breathe. I believe that God still has a plan for him. That's why I can't give up. I know his power is real. I know the anointing is real. I know that it's available to all men who are willing to receive him and let him in. That's why I can't allow anything to come in and dilute the anointing on my life. And God is saying, I'm about to shake some things up in the people in this room. And until you fully surrender to my anointing, I'm not going to let you be okay. And I pray that he keeps you up at night. Until you understand the seriousness of cultivating the anointing on your life. I pray that he doesn't let you walk past somebody and see them broken without understanding that God wants to use you. I pray that there's a conviction to get serious in your faith. Not just because Jesus is coming back or because it's going to get real, but because there's people that ain't going to come to know God if you don't get serious about your life. This world is broken, man. That's the beauty about getting saved because 
You see the brokenness for what it is. That when we're out there chasing drugs and kicking in doors and making money and doing all the things we did that we would be praised by fools. The Bible says it's better to be criticized by the wise than, be, than to be praised by fools. The problem is we've been growing up our whole life where people praised us for the wrong that we did so we had no idea. But God said, once you come to know me, you know that you're not, I'm, I'm not okay with it anymore. It's not okay for you anymore. Say if you knew better, you'll do better. Standing in front of you because I know you can do better. That when people like me get saved, a gang-banging junkie that left his kids at a McDonald's so he can go out and kick another door because he spent the money on his dope. That if I can stand in front of you set free, seven years sober, on fire for God, that I remove the excuses in your life that it's not okay to live like that anymore. If you knew better, you'll do better. You're looking at it. You look around in the room at the people that you grew up with, you see them set free, you know better. How many people are going to die out there that we could have reached? I can't reach them all. The people out here in here that are doing the work, they can't reach them all. I can't do that. That's why we talk about an army rising up. Because if every single person in this room devoted their lives to reaching one person this week, there'd be a hundred more people that get set, from, set free from drugs next week. One person in this room devoted their life to reaching one person. How many more people would be in the kingdom? How many more people would be set free from anxiety, suicide, and everything else that they're struggling with? Man, it's, it's serious, man. It's time to get serious. I said it all the time. I'm not going to keep coming up here and preaching if we don't get serious about the mission of God. My job is to equip God's people to do the work of the ministry. How do you do that? Be you. Talk about what God is doing in your life. Quit being ashamed of what God is doing in your life. I promise you, you'll experience a fire and a hunger inside of you. You didn't even know you had. That when you push past being uncomfortable and just say, man, I see you hurting. Can I pray for you? Little things like that, that will set you on fire. I promise you. There's no other high in the world. There's no greater feeling in the world than walking away knowing that you made a difference in somebody's life. It's our mission statement. Know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. The 12 steps. What's the 12 step? To carry the message to the addict who still suffers, right? That's a biblical principle that they applied to the 12 steps, that they know that unless you do this, unless you give back what was given to you, that you can't keep it, that you can't keep what you have unless you give it away. You can't keep the fire of God inside of you if you don't give it away. You can't keep the anointing unless you use the anointing for somebody else. And a lot of us have, 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 have found ourselves in a place of complacency in our life because you stopped giving away what was given to you. You reap what you sow. You reap what you sow. You reap what you sow. It's everything. We reap mercy when we sow mercy. When we minister to God, he ministers to us. When we minister to the broken people, when we're broken, people come and minister to us. We reap what we sow. We can keep sowing seeds of hate, seeds of doubt, seeds of confusion. We can keep sowing all these seeds of death and we'll continue to reap death. But when we start sowing life into other people, we'll start to reap life. We got to cultivate the anointing. Real quick, I'm going to talk about a few ways that we cultivate the anointing. First, we withdraw from the world and we draw near to God. Jesus modeled withdrawing from the crowd and drawing near to God. And he was 100% man and 100% God. 
He was 100% man that operated in the 100% fullness of God and the fullness of his anointing. Luke 5, 16 says, so he, Jesus himself, often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. Matthew 14, 23 says, after he had sent them away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. Mark 1, 35 says, early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up and slipped out to a solitary place to pray. Luke 6, 12 says, and it came to pass in those days that he went out into a mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. So Jesus modeled our necessity to withdraw from the world and to draw near to God. And if Jesus himself had to break away from the world and the distraction and the busyness of the world to place himself in a place of solitude to be in prayer with God, how much more do we in our own human flesh need to do that? This is basic Christianity that I myself need to start amplifying, like for real. Like I'm, I'm starting to do these things myself. I'm telling you that the... God had struck me to my core this week, and he is saying it is not okay to not do basic things that you need to do to be in a perfect relationship with me and to walk in the fullness of what I have called you to do. Second, we devote ourselves to prayer and fasting. The beautiful thing is about this The disciples never asked Jesus how to cast out demons. They never asked Jesus how to cast out demons. They never asked Jesus how to heal the sick. They never asked Jesus anything that they did. They did it naturally. But the only thing they asked Jesus how to do was how to pray. They said, Jesus, teach us how to pray. And he taught them, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be, holy be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So when Jesus is telling them that, he's saying, man, hey, don't just rush or say these prayers. Like, every, you need to slow down and say, God, my God who is in heaven, holy is your name. Like, recognizing the holiness and the, the beauty of God and actually taking the time to slow down. Even when he says, Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. He's saying, man, God, like, forgive me of my sins, but help me to forgive the people who've hurt me. And so we're teaching ourselves. He said, man, Jesus, teach us how to pray because they knew that the power that Jesus had to perform miracles the way he did was all connected to how he prayed. And it's time we start practicing witness. We don't know what to pray. We just pray. Man, Jesus, I don't even know what to say right now. Help me in this conversation I'm about to have on the phone. Help me get my life back on track. Help me to develop a relationship with you. Be real and be honest. We don't have to use words like thee and thine because why would you talk to God that way? Right? You don't talk to God like King James. You don't have to King James version your conversation with God. Right? He don't talk to me like that. You know what God sounds like? He sounds like me. He sounds like you, like for real. That's how God sounds when he talks to you. He's going to sound like you. He ain't going to sound. He might talk to you like that. <laughs> he might talk to you in the King James Version. Or, no. or like the crocodile hunter or something. <laughs> but God sounds like me. Prayer, Luke 11, 1 says, Now it came to pass as he was praying in a certain place when he sees that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us how to pray. As John also taught his disciples, they never asked him how to cast out demons, how to perform works, but they realized that his power came from his prayer. 
fasting. The disciples went out to cast out demons, and they came to one person that they failed at casting out the demon. So they come to Jesus. And Mark 9, 28 through 29 says, when he had came into the house, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't, why could we not cast that, cast it out? So he said to them, this kind can only come out by, by nothing but prayer and fasting. That there's some things in your life that you're not going to be over, that you're not going to be able to, to overcome unless you fast and you pray. That there's some demons that we're to go to war with. That have our brothers and our sisters and our cousins and our mamas and our uncles bound. That if we don't pray and we don't fast and we don't crucify the flesh that will never have the authority that is necessary to overcome the demons that we face and that have them bound. It's simple. Christianity is so simple. I promise you, these are spiritual disciplines that will allow you to walk in the fullness of the power that God has for you. Third, we worship like our lives depend on it. Worship is a weapon. Worship eliminates pity and activates power. And Joyce Meyer said it this way. She said, you can be pitiful or you can be powerful, but you can't be both. And I know it feels good to wallow in our pity, and I know it feels good. And there's some time when I tell my wife, I don't want you to even tell me anything about God right now. My, I'm upset, and I want to go in this room, and I want to lay down, and I want to be stressed for a second. We can talk about this later, like for real. But my wife won't allow me to be like that. She's like, you need to preach to yourself right now. Like, you know, <laughs> implement the stuff that you've, been, that you've been saying. No, I'm telling you, worship eliminates pity, and it activates power. Why? Because as we minister to the Lord, he ministers to us because we reap what we sow. That when we talk about the goodness of God, when we worship him for what he's already done, we're reminded that if God did it before, he'll do it again. There's a power. There's battles that you that some certain battles in your life that can only be won by worship. Worship is so powerful that before they would send the Israelites in into battle, they would send worshipers ahead. Of the army of God. And they would worship. That there's some weights that will fall off of you. If you'll just be willing to lift your hands to God. And worship him for who he is. We consume the word of God regardless of our feelings. We got to get to a point man. Where we understand that it's not okay. It's not okay to go without reading the word of God that you cannot get by. Remember, it said that the five foolish ones didn't have any oil in their lamps. And it said that when the bridegroom came back, that they went to the five ones that did have oil in their lamps. And they said, give us some of your oil. And they said, I can't give you none of my oil because then I won't have enough for myself. That it's going to come a time when it will no longer be okay for you to live off of the oil and the anointing that is on my life. That at some point we got to understand that we can't just be these baby Christians that got to be spoon fed the word of God. But we got to rise up and consume the word of God for ourselves, whether we feel like it or not. Because there's a power in the word. Hebrews 4.12 says the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two edged sword cutting between soul and spirit between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. The word of God is alive and powerful. 
that there's some places that it exposes our inner, innermost thoughts and actions, that, that there's some places that can only be reached by the word of God. But that as we read it, we don't even realize it's some, that it's doing something, but that it's, it's activating a boldness in us. It's, it's activating a power inside of us that is doing a work inside of us that we can't even see. And some of us never experienced that because we've never made ourselves read the word. But we got to force feed ourselves until we develop a hunger for the word. We can't afford, man, to keep walking around. Empty vessels, man, with no oil. That's why we can have worship experiences where, where we sit there and we get, we get hyped up, but we walk out the doors and we go right back to doing what we were doing because the anointing is not in the place. That we, it's not okay for us anymore, man, to walk around as empty vessels with no oil in our lamps, man. That we're the light of the world. That when people see us, they need to see the glory of God. That there needs to be something different about us. That people need to see the power of God in our life. Lastly, we protect the anointing. And real quick, because we're out of time, man. We protect the anointing three ways. We, we protect the anointing by repentance, first and foremost. That we got to repent daily. Right? We protect the anointing by repentance, by remaining pure, by repetition, consistency. In our devotion. Consistency in meeting together. Consistency in being honest and open and real about what we're struggling with. That we protect the anointing when we do these type of things. That when we don't compromise in our life. That we keep a pure, genuine heart and spirit. That we don't allow anything to come in and to defile our conscience so that we can walk in the fullness of God. That we know. There's things that we know that we shouldn't be doing that God is saying, man... Don't do that because I need your conscience to be clear because I want to use you to minister to other people. You'll live different, man, when you know that your life is, is to be used for his glory. That I don't want to stand on this stage and be a hypocrite. I tell you I ain't perfect. I tell you the things I struggle with because I'm an open book. But I know I can't live a double life. Never have been able to. When I gang-banged, I gang-banged. When I sold dope, I sold dope. When I robbed, I robbed. When I lived for the world, I was all the way in. And when I gave my life to Jesus, I was all the way in. And when I stepped away from God, I didn't preach about God or walk around with a Bible, but I went all the way back out. I got a picture with BT in this room that I went from being on fire for Jesus to two weeks later out robbing with a pistol grip pump because I walked away from the word of God because I knew who I was called to be. That we'll no longer just use, that we'll no longer just sleep with somebody, that we'll no longer just do this or do that, but that we will know that we are walking away from who God called us to be. It's a different kind of weight, man. It's a different kind of weight. We got to start asking those questions. God, what am I here for? How do you want to use me? God, what does that look like for me? We got to start asking those kind of questions because I promise you he's got an answer for you. But I'm going to warn you, when you know once he shows you, the world will never taste the same again. You will never go back to doing what you're doing and feel good about it, ever. 
ever. It will kill you every single day. It will be a type of weight you have never bared your whole life. You will know wholeheartedly that God has freedom for you, that he has called you for it, that you're not just walking away because you just can't do it, but you're walking away because you'll know you chose to do it. It's a different kind of weight, man. And I'm praying God, God really shakes y'all up in this room. Y'all know I ain't here to condemn you. I want to see y'all get on fire for God. You know what I mean? Like, I'm ready, man, for real. We need a team, man. Closing statement. Verse 7 said, all the bridesmaids got up and prepared their lamp. Then five foolish ones asked others, please give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. But the others replied, we don't have enough for all of us. Go to a shop and buy some for yourselves. Now, in the text, we see that the bridegroom came back and it was too late for the ones that left to go buy the anointing. But I'm good news for you today is that you still have time. That they ran out of time and that there's a time that's going to come when the weight of this world is going to be too heavy for Christians to bear without walking in the anointing and the power of God. But you're here today because God's got a plan for you. Because he's got a purpose for you that there's still time for you to actually walk in the fullness of who he's created you to be. How do we cultivate the anointing? We talked about it. How do we protect it? We repent. We remain pure and repetition. I believe wholeheartedly, man, that God is about to do something different with the people in this room. Thank you for listening to this week's message from We Are Church. I trust that you are blessed and moved in a way that changes your life permanently and allows God to guide you towards your calling in Christ. If you want to make We Are Church your home church or feel moved to sow into We Are Church, we want to provide the means to do so. You can join or give online at weareministries.com and you can also reach us on our social media platforms at We Are Church Nashville. God bless you. Have a great week.